In this episode of the Spot On Podcast, we're exploring everything about melanoma. We're going to cover the basics about what it is and how it occurs, and why melanoma is the type of skin cancer that we worry about the most. Later in the episode, we'll then explore the different treatment options that exist for early stage melanoma. First up, let's set the foundation and find out what exactly is melanoma and who better to take us through it than leading dermatologist, Associate Professor Victoria Ma. I'm Victoria Ma, I'm a dermatologist and I'm the director of the Victorian Melanoma Service at the Alfred Hospital in Melbourne. Uh, And I also work at Monash University doing research into skin cancer diagnosis and prevention. A dermatologist is a medical practitioner who after several years of hospital work then undergoes a minimum of four years of supervised training in the diagnosis and management of skin disease. Before we jump into learning how melanoma is diagnosed and the importance of identifying it in the early stages, let's first understand what exactly is melanoma? Melanoma is a cancer of the pigment cells in the skin. So melanocytes provide uh, pigment in the skin, so the colour of our skin. And we find clusters of melanocytes in moles, in normal moles. And sometimes they can start to develop cancerous changes and develop into melanoma. And those changes are usually caused by UV light. So melanocytes are present throughout our skin, not just in moles and provide the colour or the pigment in our skin. Moles are made up of clusters of normal melanocytes. And that doesn't mean that melanocytes in moles are sinister or should be removed just as a precaution. Cutting out normal moles doesn't prevent melanoma or reduce your risk. However, melanocytes can become damaged by UV light. And that UV light is commonly from sun exposure, which is known as the most common cause of melanoma. So damage from UV radiation hits these cells and causes uh, changes in the DNA within their melanocytes, which makes them become cancerous and transform into melanoma. Which does explain why, a lot of the time, it's described as Australia's national cancer. We have a lot of UV in Australia and there is a latitude gradient. So uh, unfortunately, people living in Queensland will be exposed more than people living in Victoria or Tasmania and so their risk will be higher. And we can see that with the rates in the population in Queensland are certainly much higher than they are in the southern states and higher in fact than they are elsewhere in the world. We have a lot of fair-skinned individuals living in in Australia despite our multicultural heritage but that fair skin does predispose us to an increased risk. So people with very fair skin are at a greater risk whereas people with heavily pigmented skin, have a much lower risk. But there's more than just one kind of skin cancer. There are in fact three common skin cancers, of which melanoma is one, which occurs within the melanocytes deep in the epidermis. There's also squamous cell cancer that occurs in the very superficial layer of the skin, the squamous layer. And then there are basal cell cancers that arise in the basal cells of the skin. So it's not just melanoma that we need to be mindful of, but why is it the one that gets the most attention? 
Melanoma is the one that we worry about just because it does have that propensity if it becomes invasive to get into the blood vessels or the lymphatics and spread to other organs, more so than squamous cell cancer. But basal cell cancer are, are a skin cancer that typically don't spread, but are actually much more common. And when it comes to identifying melanoma, timing is everything. The earlier it's detected, the better. So if you think about melanoma, it develops firstly on the very surface of the skin and it can actually stay on the very surface of the top level, the epidermis of the skin for some time before it starts to invade. And we, if we catch it at that very early level before it started to invade, then there's actually no risk of it spreading. So the blood vessels and lymphatics that take the little cells off to other parts of the body actually are in the dermis of the skin, which is the deeper levels of the skin. So once the cells have invaded from the epidermis, the top level down into the deeper levels of the skin, the risk of them getting into one of those blood vessels or lymphatic channels and shooting off to another part of the body is higher. Uh, and we want to try to avoid that, obviously. So if we can catch them early when they're in the very surface, that is much better than if they've already started to invade and have that potential to spread. And let's say you were to visit your dermatologist for a skin check. What kind of things would you expect to happen in that consult? Well, the first thing is to take a really good history and understand somebody's risk. So we'd always sit down and, and understand if uh, they've had previous skin cancers or if there's a family history. And then it's really important to understand if there's any particular lesions of concern. So you are the, are the best judge of your own skin and, and most likely to pick up any changes. And so listening to any concerns and taking them seriously is the first thing. And then the second thing is really having an understanding of that person's skin, that means looking at, at all of the skin surface. So usually I would ask a patient to undress down to their underwear, um, shoes and socks off, and systematically have a look at all of the skin surface, including the head and neck through the hair, feet between the toes, surfaces that you may not be looking at yourself very much, just to make sure that we're not missing anything that you hadn't been aware of and then paying particular attention to the lesions that, that were concerning to you. And it's really important at the end just to make sure that we've seen everything that the patient had been concerned about. So just that question of, you know, have I seen everything and is there anything else that you're, you've been worried about that I need to double check? An important element of screening is in fact the self-examination that you do at home to keep an eye on any spots that might be changing or things that just don't quite look right. Often after seeing a dermatologist, you'll be shown how to systematically examine your own skin, because as stated earlier, you are in the best position to identify anything new or changing with spots on your skin. So a skin check certainly does sound a bit more involved than a quick checkup. How long does a skin check normally take? Sometimes it's really easy to check someone's skin because they may not have a lot of moles, and so that process can be actually fairly quick. But somebody who has a lot of moles or unusual lesions, that process can be slower. Um, usually I would use a dermatoscope, which is a, a magnifying lens essentially. It look, makes it easier to look at different structures in the moles that we're having a look at. And we're really looking for different patterns in those moles. Some patterns will be very benign and reassuring and other patterns will be a little bit haphazard, irregular, and make us concerned for a skin cancer. And we may choose to take good photographs of that lesion for monitoring, or we may choose to biopsy 
completely remove that lesion to get pathology on it to make a diagnosis. We're often told to keep an eye on our own skin to look out for any changes. Often, it's the new lesions that we should be keeping an eye out for, not just for any changes in existing spots. Most melanomas actually arise in unblemished skin as a completely new lesion rather than a change in a pre-existing mole. So people who are covered with moles, it's really good to have a baseline set of photographs so that we can compare over time and just make sure that we're seeing any changes in the pre-existing moles, but also that we're not seeing new moles come up that might be concerning for melanoma. So melanomas are often caused by overexposure to the sun, but you can also get melanoma in other less obvious parts of the body. You can get melanomas on the feet, on the soles of the feet. Much less common actually to get melanomas on the hands, but you can certainly have them occur in the nails. And sometimes they can be mistaken for infection, like a tinea infection or a wart or something more benign, and they can be difficult to diagnose. So and they're much less common. So it's not that people should be anxious about those particular areas, but certainly if there's something that looks a bit unusual or isn't behaving as you would expect it to, they should be checked. So melanomas can occur anywhere, not just in moles. And when a diagnosis of melanoma is made by a clinician, they'll usually remove a lesion so that a pathologist can have a look at it and make a proper assessment about the staging. Staging is really important for two reasons. It gives us an idea of uh, prognosis, so what to expect in the future and the risk of it returning or spreading to other organs. And the other reason is to make an informed plan about treatment and get access to additional therapies should they be required. So when we cut a melanoma out and the pathologist has a look under the microscope, they'll tell us about the thickness, the Breslow thickness, and they'll also tell us whether the lesion is ulcerated uh, and whether it has any mitoses. And mitoses are seen in cells that are dividing or growing quickly, and they're another marker of how it might behave. So putting those three things together gives us the tumour stage. So Breslow thickness is the depth of the tumour cells as measured by the pathologist looking at the biopsy specimen. This has actually replaced something called Clark level as the key guide to prognosis, but Clark level is still reported as it still does have a role in determining prognosis in a smaller percentage of body sites. Interestingly, when you're looking at a pathology report as a patient, you can be easily confused. For example, a Clark level four is not the same as stage four melanoma. And oftentimes it's because on the pathology report, it says that there is a certain thickness and that they're Clark level four, which is quite a different thing to being stage four. So stage four relates to when disease is spread to other organs. From the pathology report from a melanoma, there are th certain things that are reported, including thickness, ulceration and mitosis, as I, as I mentioned before, and then Clark level. And Clark level really just is the level within the layers of the skin that the melanoma has gone down to. And that doesn't mean stage four. So there is a real difference and, and patients often get a little bit concerned when they see that Clark level four and that's not something that you should be worried about. So the pathologist report will tell a clinician about certain features of the melanoma, including the thickness. If a melanoma is more than a millimetre in thickness or if it's slightly thinner than that but it has other features, so the, that ulceration or mitosis, we might consider 
a sentinel node biopsy. And that sentinel node biopsy will tell us whether there is any melanoma that's already started to seed into a lymph node. That needs to be done at the time that wider excision is taken of the melanoma, the safety margin is taken. What happens is a, some dye is injected around the melanoma site and it's traced to the first draining lymph node and then that first draining lymph node which is called the sentinel node is removed and it's sent off to the pathologist to tell us whether there are any cells in it that are a sign of early spread. If there are cells in the lymph node that tells us the staging is stage three. So stage three is when there are melanoma cells in the lymph node and for higher risk primary melanomas with a positive sentinel node, their options to access what we call adjuvant therapy, which is additional medical therapy to reduce the risk of the melanoma coming back. As we steer our conversation more towards therapies and treatment of melanoma, it's a good time to introduce Professor John Thompson. I'm a, a general surgeon. I've been involved in the treatment of patients with melanoma for 35 years or so and I'm Emeritus Professor of Melanoma and Surgical Oncology at the University of Sydney. Professor John Thompson is also a faculty member of Melanoma Institute Australia and Chairman of the Australian Melanoma Management Guidelines Working Group. And when it comes to treatment of melanoma, fortunately, most patients present with the early stage of the disease, so it's limited to where it originally developed and hasn't spread anywhere else. And the treatment of that is by fairly simple surgery. And in about 85% of cases, that is all that's ever required. So surgery is the initial treatment for early stage melanoma. So the vast majority of melanomas are cured by a simple re-excision. But as we know, if you've had one melanoma before, you're at a much greater risk of having another. So you should get checked frequently and see a dermatologist from then on. So relatively simple but it's a surgical procedure nonetheless. It's important at this stage to remind ourselves of the different kinds of excisions that can be performed. There are two stages really to management of early stage melanoma. The first is to establish the diagnosis, which has already been covered, and that involves an excision biopsy of the melanoma. Then the definitive treatment is to perform what's called a wide excision remove the melanoma with a safety margin around it. And the size of that safety margin is determined by the seriousness of the melanoma. And this in turn is determined by what the pathologist tells us, how thick the melanoma is primarily. All of this talk of surgery and excisions, one could be forgiven to think that along with all of that comes a lot of scarring too. But these days, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, 20, 30 years ago, very large excision margins were used and this required skin grafts and, and a lot of deformity. These days, on the basis of a large number of clinical trials, it's been found that even for very thick melanomas, a margin of more than two centimetres is not required. And for thinner melanomas, usually it's a margin of one centimetre. Now, these defects can usually be closed quite easily. Occasionally, a skin graft is required if it's on a difficult position on the body, for example, on an ankle or a face or neck. But in general, simple excision with what's called primary closure, direct closure of the wound, this is all that's required. And in all those difficult positions on the body, it isn't just a skin graft that could be performed either. 
There are other ways too. Uh, the, the other way of doing it, which is sometimes more cosmetically satisfactory, is to, to use what's called a, a skin flap to move a flap of skin around and cover the defect that way. And that's what plastic surgeons are good at. And uh, that uh, is sometimes used, not, not all that often necessary, but can be used in cosmetically difficult or functionally difficult areas. So general practitioners, dermatologists, general surgeons, plastic surgeons. It turns out there's many different clinicians who might perform surgery for melanoma. Which one's most likely to perform the procedure? It varies, and it also varies country to country. For example, in Germany, almost all surgery for melanoma is performed by dermatologists who have particular training in dermatological surgery. In Australia, it's normally carried out by general surgeons, such as myself, with particular training in the field, or by plastic surgeons, and either perfectly competent to uh, to repair most wounds. Dermatologists often perform wide excisions themselves for the thinner, earlier melanomas, and some general practices, particularly those who have specialised in skin cancer management, perform the wide excisions also. And in case you're wondering if there are any non-surgical treatments when it comes to melanoma? No, there aren't. The creams and uh, ointments and various uh, substances um, have been tried and are not regarded as satisfactory and are not recommended in the Australian Melanoma Management Guidelines or any other national guidelines for that matter. So let's say you've had a melanoma surgically removed in the past. There's actually now a higher likelihood that you'll get melanoma again in the future. If you've had one melanoma, then you're much more likely to get a second melanoma or a third melanoma for that matter. And also if there's a family history of melanoma, you're more likely. Family history is indeed an important factor when it comes to melanoma. Specifically, if a first degree relative, like a parent or sibling, has had melanoma, then you're at a higher risk. The risk isn't actually higher for more distant relatives with melanoma though. And do you remember earlier in the episode when we were talking about getting some more information from the lymph glands during the initial treatment? Well, that's particularly important in determining the chance of melanoma recurring, a procedure called a sentinel node biopsy. Well, sentinel node biopsy uh, was introduced in the early 1990s and has been shown to be the most accurate method of determining prognosis that's available. And essentially what happens is that before the wide excision is performed, a scan is performed to show where the draining lymph nodes are and to identify what's called the sentinel lymph node, the node from which direct drainage of lymph from the melanoma to the lymph nodes occurs and melanoma cells can spread along those lymphatic channels. Now, if the sentinel node is removed at the time of the wide excision, which is a sentinel node biopsy procedure, uh, then the pathologist can tell us with great accuracy whether spread has occurred or not. So which one do we want? A positive sentinel node or a negative sentinel node? If the sentinel node is negative, then that's good. The prognosis is it's much better and no further treatment is required. If the sentinel node is positive, then that means that the outlook is somewhat more serious. And if there are multiple deposits in the lymph nodes, or if they're large deposits in the sentinel lymph nodes, then these days, what's called adjuvant systemic treatment, adjuvant drug treatment is recommended. And we'll cover adjuvant therapy in episode two of this podcast. Sticking with the sentinel node biopsy for a moment, let's say it comes back as positive for melanoma. What happens next? 
If, if it's positive, it's not an all or nothing thing. It can be just a few cells in the central node, or it can be more extensive deposits in the central node. If it's just a few cells, then at the present time, that just means that the person needs to be monitored much more carefully because we know that the risk of recurrence is higher. Not necessarily in lymph nodes, but at other sites as well. If you have a positive node biopsy and the primary tumour is considered high risk, then you'll be eligible for adjuvant therapy drug therapy as a precaution against further disease is recommended these days. We know that melanoma needs to be treated with surgery. If it's suspected you have melanoma, it's particularly important that a biopsy is done first before the entire thing is removed. When a melanoma is suspected, if if there's a suspicious pigmented lesion on the skin, the national guidelines recommend that the diagnosis be confirmed by an excision biopsy by complete removal of the pigmented spot with a couple of millimetres of clearance. It is not recommended that you proceed directly to a wide excision because you don't know the pathology and the pathology will determine how wide that excision needs to be. The pathology will help indicate whether you could benefit from the information provided by a sentinel node biopsy. the timing of when that sentinel node biopsy is performed is critical. I think it's important to understand that the sentinel node biopsy has to be performed before the wide excision is performed or at the same time as it. It's not possible to perform the sentinel node biopsy later once a wide excision has been performed because the lymphatic channels are all disturbed and you don't know where the original drainage was. So what's actually involved in having a sentinel node biopsy performed? It is a a minimally invasive surgical procedure. It does involve a cut in the groin or the armpit or the neck. And this can be done usually with a a quick general anaesthetic, but sometimes with local anaesthetic. Uh, It does not require an overnight stay in hospital or anything. And it does have occasional complications as any minor surgical procedure does. But these days it's a pretty safe and routine procedure, provided it's done by someone who is uh, experienced in doing it and trained to do it. A sentinel node biopsy does require some coordination though. So if you're in a rural or remote location, some logistical complications may arise. The problem is that if anything more than a wide excision is required, then consideration does need to be given to the benefits of a central node biopsy. And sometimes facilities to perform a central node biopsy are not available in smaller regional centres. They are in larger regional centres. Central node biopsy is very much a team effort. It requires not just a surgeon, but it requires uh, skilled nuclear medicine input to perform a scan to identify the site of the central node. And it requires very careful pathology examination of the central node. So three disciplines are involved. Surgery, nuclear medicine and pathology can be sent from a regional centre to a major centre, but uh, nuclear medicine facilities are often difficult to come by in smaller regional centres and the surgeon in the smaller regional centre may not have expertise in central node biopsy. So under those circumstances it probably is worthwhile travelling to either a major regional centre or to a city centre to have a central node biopsy performed. Follow-up can be undertaken locally in most instances, but that one trip to the city is probably well worthwhile in the long term. So, closing out this session about the fundamentals of melanoma, we reflect on what gives us hope as we think about the future and the diagnosis and treatment of melanoma. 
I think we do have increasing awareness about melanoma in Australia, which is really great. And I think people are getting the message that they need to be aware of what's on their skin. I think people are getting the message that sun-seeking behaviours are going to increase their risk and they need to be sensible and take some precautions in the sun. And I think the message is getting through from a very early age with kids in the classroom not being able to go out and play unless they have their hat on and so on. And so I think the younger generation in particular are really aware of the importance of sun protection, which is great. And we should certainly see the effects of that over the coming years. We do have a lot of people seeking a screening, if you like, in a sense. We don't have a, a screening program in Australia, but there are a lot of people who are actively seeking surveillance of their skin. We just need to be able to target that a little bit better so that we're really watching people who are high risk and being able to accurately reassure people who are at lower risk. One of the challenges is that we need to be able to improve access to care and to screening for people who really need it. And if we're screening a lot of low risk people, that obviously makes it more difficult for the high risk people who have an issue to access that care in a timely fashion. So we, there are a few things that we need to improve. We need to be able to improve um, the accuracy of diagnosis and there are some really great technologies coming through that will improve how we do that. Artificial intelligence is really exciting at the moment. There's a lot of work being done in that field and I think it will start to be impactful and improve the way we diagnose melanomas earlier. But at the moment, they're not really in clinical use. So we have to be careful about how we implement that and um, how those technologies become available to patients. I think with time though, they will improve and I hope that they will be useful for people to monitor their own skin and get appropriate attention. But really they don't take the place of an assessment by a doctor at this point in time. And regardless of a pandemic or not, it's important to get your skin checked. Australia's healthcare professionals are continuing to work hard to keep us all healthy. So I think the real message is if you're worried about something, see your doctor. Don't delay. For things like skin cancer, everybody is still open for face-to-face -face assessments and that's really necessary if there are any concerns. So don't delay. And that's it for episode one on the Spot On podcast. We hope you learned something useful from this session about the fundamentals and treatment options for early stage melanoma please share this episode with a friend or family member if you think it would be of value. Come join us for episode two as we speak with more clinical experts about advanced melanoma, what it is and the different treatment options that exist. Remember, all of the content discussed in this podcast is for information purposes only and should not be considered as medical advice. Please make sure you speak with a medical professional for advice relating to your own specific situation. This podcast is brought to you by the Melanoma and Skin Cancer Advocacy Network, MSCAN, who are providing a new, innovative approach to tackle Australia's national cancer. MSCAN engages with Australia's leading clinicians, researchers and advocates with the aim of increasing the knowledge of those affected by a diagnosis. For more information about MSCAN and the advocacy work going on to help Australia get skin serious, visit mscan.org.au.